what, what really uh, motivates your life? What lights your fire? Uh, what gets you up in the morning? Um, what uh, keeps you doing what you do? Have you ever had difficulty um, trying to find that motivation? <laughs> I have. There have been times when I've thought, oh no, here we go again, another day. How's this one going to work out, right? It's easy to, I think, easy to get distracted um, it, by good things. Um, in fact, I think it was Oswald Chambers, uh, a great preacher over a century ago, who said it is always the good things that keep us from the best, that keep us from God's best for us. It's always a good thing that tends to crowd out whatever is God's best for us for a particular time or for a particular moment. Uh, you, can, you can think about that and, and decide if that's ever been true of your own life, but it certainly has been of mine. The passage that we're going to look at today from John chapter 13 uh, is essentially Jesus expressing what really motivates him. What's his ultimate motivation for doing what he does? Jesus did a lot of things, right? He did a whole lot of things in his earthly ministry. But what was it that motivated him? What was it that actually gave everything that he did purpose? If you would turn with me to the Gospel of John in the New Testament... It's the fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 13, and we're going to uh, continue in our series that I've titled Disciple Life, exploring this last moment, these last moments, the last evening that Jesus spent with his disciples and, and teaching them how they should live as disciples. And so we're trying to learn from that too. What does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Jesus helps us to know what to do and how to live and how to be a disciple. So John chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. I'm going to read aloud verses 31 to 38. You can follow on the screen or read in your Bibles um, silently as I read aloud. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through this word, through this message. May we hear what you have for us to hear. And God, may you empower us with the ability to walk out of here ready and enabled to obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you guys to see from this is that God is glorified when we pursue Jesus' mission. When we pursue Jesus' mission. God is glorified when we pursue Jesus' mission. How, where's Jesus' mission here? Did you see that? Did you catch it? Did you catch how Jesus, um, uh, what his purpose was? What his ultimate goal was? What did Jesus came, came to come to do? Think about that for a second. Jesus came to earth to die? Yes. To die for our sins. To live a perfect sinless life. Uh, Jesus came to, he said, to seek and save the lost. He came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. But it's interesting that in this passage and in other places in John, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus expresses his mission in this way. I came to glorify the Father. That is my purpose. That is my ultimate mission. To glorify God. The uh, Westminster Catechism, which if those two words don't mean anything to you, it's... Might as well be Greek, that's okay. It, essentially, Westminster Catechism was just a, a document that the English church, uh, the believing evangelical English church, developed in order to teach um, the doctrines of Christ. And their first question and answer was this, what is the chief end of man? What is our purpose? What are we here for? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. That's our, that's our purpose. That's our chief end. That's the ultimate meaning of our lives. And Jesus captures that beautifully, perfectly for us. So that we could see that it's not just, it's not just a doctrine that some guy has wrote down. And said, this, this sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty profound. Let's write this down and, th and talk about it and remember it. But they said, wait a minute, Jesus' goal was to glorify God. That should be our mission too. That should be our purpose too. Absolutely. Jesus glorified God in his life. How did he do that? How did he do that? He said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And by stating that, he was saying, now, in the present. Now. Right now. Glory in the now. How did that happen? Well, he hadn't completed his mission yet. He still was yet to die for our sins. He was, still was yet to be buried. He still was yet to rise from the dead. But he could say that now the Son of Man is glorified. And right now, God is glorified in him. 
because God, or because, excuse me, Jesus was faithfully fulfilling the mission that he had been given by the Father. He was doing it now. And God was being glorified now in him, in his obedience. Think about Jesus' life for a second. Because we like to talk about Jesus' death because it was his death that paid the penalty for our sins. It was his death on the cross that made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. It, our sins, in fact, were, were nailed to the cross with him and buried in the grave with him. And then when he rose from the grave, he left them there. That's what was happening. So his death is paramount. It's, it's central to the gospel. But here's the other part about Jesus, is that his life of obedience was for our sake as well. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He perfectly glorified God in the day in and the day out, in the mundane of his life, and then and the excellence of his life, in the ordinary and the extraordinary. Jesus glorified God through his obedience, by being faithful to God, by being faithful to God's commands, God's ordinances, God's law, and perfectly fulfilling it. He glorified him. Have you thought about this word glorify? I thought about it this week too because we talk about it a lot. We go, okay, so Jesus glorified God and we should glorify God too. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is glory in the first place? So I, we did a, a little a image search for glory. Well, what comes up? A, a, a movie from 1990 or something somewhere around then. Glory. And we're thinking, okay, so, so is glory dying in battle against your enemy? Is that what glory is? It could be. It could be. I guess it could be used that way, right? When we say something is glorious, what do we say? Look, I mean, look at the picture on the front of your bulletin. You look at that picture. Would you say, that is a glorious picture? I would say that. I would say, it's a glorious picture. Okay? We see a beautiful sunset. We see a mountains, valleys. We see the mist in the mornings. We see a, a soft rain coming down. Um, we hear the strains of music. Um, uh, Leonard Bernstein, who I wouldn't quote very often um, on a lot of things, but in this one case, I think he said something really interesting. And listen to what he's talking about. Uh, try, to, try to imagine. He is, he is, he's talking about Beethoven's music. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun-dun, right? And many others, okay? But you know that one. Everyone knows that. Beethoven turned out pieces of breathtaking rightness. Pay attention to the words he uses. Rightness, that's the word he said. When you get the feeling that whatever note succeeds the last is the only possible note that can rightly happen at that instant in that context, then chances are you're listening to Beethoven. Melodies, fugues, rhythms. Leave them to the Tchaikovsky's and Hindemiths and Ravel's. Our boy has the real goods. The stuff 
from heaven, he said. The power to make you feel at the finish. Something is right in the world. There is something that checks throughout, that follows its own law consistently. Something we can trust that will never let us down. Who, what, what is he talking about? Who is he talking about? What is he... He's talking about Beethoven's music. But he captures something pretty amazing. What's he, what's he trying to say? He's trying to say, he's trying to say, Beethoven's music is glorious. Beethoven's music is beautiful. There is something in beauty that we can say, it's right. Everything's right when the world, in the world when we behold something beautiful. Something glorious. And we go, it couldn't possibly be any, any other way. You don't mess with perfection. You don't edit it. You don't remix it. <laughs> it is right. It's beautiful. And when we're talking about the glory of God, we're talking about His excellence, His beauty, His awesomeness. To say that God is uh, is glory or glorif glorif glorious, that God is glorious, we mean He's amazing. He's perfect. He's, be he's beautiful. Everything about Him is perfect. He is the summation of beauty. We, we can listen to Beethoven all we want and go, That's, that is glorious, that is amazing. We can listen to a lot of great music. I, I had several things go through my mind this week. I thought... There's a piece by Samuel Barber called Adagio for Strings. That's probably one of the most beautiful pieces for string orchestra ever written. And then he decided, I I'm going to take it and I'm going to set it to these sacred words, Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Lamb of God. Lamb of God. He took these beautiful words and set it to this music, for a, for a chorus. I've had the, the joy of performing that piece many times in the past. And what a wondrous piece. It, it almost brings me to tears to hear it, to, to perform it, to sing it, to experience it. Things that God has created, things that we create are so glorious and so beautiful, but they're shadows of who God is. They're shadows of who God is. So how do we glorify God? How do we make him? How did Jesus make God glorified? How did he make him glorious? By magnifying God's beauty. By holding up a mirror to God and reflecting it to others. By showing, displaying manifesting all of those words that we use that are, are in our Bibles by showing how beautiful and excellent He is. When Jesus obeyed, He was saying, look how beautiful God is. Look how glorious His laws and His ways are and His designs for our life are. They're glorious. I'm going to magnify that. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, look how glorious God's beauty and excellence is. That he had a plan in place for us to save us from our sins so that Jesus could die in our place. 
That he could be perfect and righteous, judging sin as he is, he is right to do. Yet, at the same time as he judged our sins, making a way for our sins to be forgiven. Making a way for us to pass on to presence with God so that one day we could behold him. So that one day we could see him face to face as we sang earlier today to God be the glory. We magnify God. We magnify God. We magnify him like a telescope magnifies an awesome heaven. Because he is so great and so awesome. Yet, from our perspective and our sinful, our, our sinful uh, presence here on this earth, we think, well, God's just a speck out there. No. But when God's word, when God's spirit, when Jesus himself shows us how glorious God is, we see him. We see him like, the Hubble telescope helps us to see things beyond our galaxy by the way that satellites help us to see the surface of Pluto. Amazing. Well, maybe Pluto's not so amazing, but there are some amazing things out there, aren't they? Aren't there? We magnify God like that. To see the detail of him. To see the excellence of him. Jesus was doing that in his life and in his death and he's calling us to do it too. He's saying, he's, he's giving us an example for us. Indirectly, but he's giving us an example of, you glorify God. What are you doing? Paul later said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So that whether you eat or drink, do everything to the glory of God. Do everything so that God's glory and his beauty and his excellence is magnified in your life. Here's how, here's specifically though, how God wants us to glorify him. See, look at what Jesus was concerned about. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. In other words, I'm only going to be here for a little longer. And then I'm leaving. You're going to seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, what he meant by that was the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders um, who were not believing in him. But he says, just as I said to them, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm going somewhere. I'm leaving this place. And you're not going to be able to come with me. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the grave. And you're not going to come with me. I'm going to, I'm ultimately going to go to the right hand of the Father. But you can't come with me now. We're going to get into that next week. Because they're going to want to know. The disciples are going to want to know. Okay, so where is this place you're going? And Jesus is going to comfort them with it. But in the meantime, he introduces this thought. And, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. When, when, I, when we leave the house, when Cheryl and I go on a hot date, Yes? Yes? She's like, yep, that's right, that's right. When we go out, we leave the girls home alone. Um, yeah, at least for a little while. Not overnight, but... Well, sometimes we leave them overnight, and someone's usually with them, but we'll leave them alone. And, and, and the one thing that really concerns us the most is not, is the house going to burn down? I don't... Well, probably not going to burn down the house. Um, 
it's, it's not necessarily that the house is going to be a, a mess and dis, in disarray. I mean, yeah, we're concerned about that. We don't want them to make a mess of things. Um, it's not necessarily that we want them to get fed, although, yes, that's a good thing. You guys should get fed. But when we leave, we want them to love one another. <laughs> We'd really like them to be kind to one another, to be gentle with one another, to have some compassion for one another. And here's Jesus going, I'm leaving. And you guys, I want to tell you something. I'm going to give you this new commandment. It's, it's new, but it's not. It's, it's new, but it's old. Love one another. The command to love was, was there. I mean, they knew they were supposed to love. The, the greatest commandment, Jesus said, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The command to love was there. They knew they needed to love one another. But he says, but to love each other like this, as I have loved you. I want you to love one another. That's what we, that's, you know, that's what we like the girls to do when we, we'd like to come home and hear a testimony, right, of how they loved one another. Have, have Maddie said, I just wanted to share how gentle Olivia was with me and how she took care of me and she, she helped me with this little project I was working on. And, and we want to hear Isabella say, you know, I, I just want to testify about how, how Ariel um, was so um, uh, uh, responsive to me in a loving way when I said, Ariel, could you please take the dog out to go potty? And Ariel said, I, I'd love to do that, Isabella. I'll take care of that for you. No, you, you go ahead and keep watching TV. I'll take care of the dog. We want to hear those testimonies. Who wouldn't want to hear those testimonies, right? Right? Amen. Amen. And I think Jesus is thinking the same thing. He's thinking the same thing. I'm leaving these guys. And you know what? They're a bunch of knuckleheads. And when I, as soon as I leave, I know what they're going to do. They're going to start fighting. They're going to start bickering. They've been doing that the whole time. To arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Arguing about who's going to be... Uh, am I going to be sitting at your right hand? And am I going to be sitting at your left hand when you're the king of everything, God? Jesus, and Jesus is like, oh, these guys, they just don't get it. They don't get it. Love as I have loved you. How, just in this passage, in the last couple of weeks, we saw this. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He loved them. He had loved them up to that point. He had loved them his entire life. He loved him with every experience that he'd had with him. But he said he loved them to the end. He took a towel. He wrapped it around his waist. He bent down, humbled himself, disgraced himself to serve his disciples, washing their nasty, dirty Palestinian feet. That just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. God is glorified when we love one another. God is glorified when we love one another. That's, that's the means by which God has given us to glorify God. And why would that be a big deal? Why would it be a big deal? I'll tell you why. Because if you imagine that our bodies 
are a mirror. <laughs> Work with me, okay? Work with me here. Our bodies are a mirror. And they reflect God to other people. And when we love one another, what is reflected to other people? The beauty of God. The excellence of God. The, the wonder and the awesomeness of His designs for our life. His law looks beautiful and glorious to other people when we love one another. But when we don't love one another, when we hate one another, when we bicker with one another, when we complain about one another and gossip and backbite, when we go out of our way to annoy one another, that never happens in my home, but in some people's homes that happens. When we do that, we're just tarnishing the mirror. That's just darkness and nastiness and crud that gets caked on the mirror and it doesn't reflect properly. My wife is looking at me with a smirk. It gets pretty ridiculous how we can be so unloving towards one another that God's glory is lessened. As far as other people are concerned, in fact, it gets, gets to this point. Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. They'll know that you're following Jesus if you have love for one another. So, our love for one another is not just an, uh, a, a happy, um, serendipitous option. That it would be good if we were to be more loving, but, you know, I, I do the best I can. I am what I am. I'm just, this is my personality. Da-da-da-da-da. We make all of the excuses. I'm still saved. I'm still a Christian, even if I'm not loving one another. Well, guess what? The world looks and says, don't look like a Christian to me. Don't look like you're a follower of Jesus to me. Jesus actually commissions the world in this verse with the right to judge us. With the right to judge whether or not we're Christians. Not to judge us whether or not we're going into heaven. Don't get me wrong. But to actually make a judgment on whether or not we look like a Christian, whether or not we act like a Christian, and when they see the church doesn't love each other, Christians don't love each other, they treat each other so horribly, what do they think? The God they, they worship must not be all that glorious. Must not be all that excellent. Must not be all that beautiful. So how should we love? John Piper said this. My discipleship group is reading his great book, Desiring God, and I highly recommend it. He said this about love. Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. So we joyfully meet others' needs. You want to love somebody, you're like, I don't know how to love them. How, sh how can I love that? That guy's nasty. He's mean. Or she's a gossip. Or she's a this or that. How can I love this person? 
joyfully meet that person's needs and see if love doesn't happen. <laughs> you may not feel that way on the inside, like, oh, I love that person. I have warm feelings for that person. You may not feel that way, but joyfully meet that person's needs and see what happens. Jesus, I think I, I, think I quoted this before um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's worth looking at again. In Philippians chapter 2, he says that Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. If we're wondering how we are to love one another and how that, how that somehow glorifies God, it's through that kind of service, that kind of selfless sacrifice, that kind of compassion for one another. Do you think the disciples got it? Do you think they understood? I love to spend a lot of time on Peter's proclamation and Jesus' prediction of his denial. But I'll say this. I don't think Simon Peter got it. Because Simon Peter said, hold on, hold on, hold on, back, back up. I, I know Jesus, hold on, go back a slide. Um, you're, you're talking about love, um, but you said you're going someplace? Where are you going? <laughs> Jesus, uh, Peter didn't get it. Peter didn't get it. In fact, he wasn't so concerned with what Jesus was trying to talk, say to him about glorifying God by loving other people. His concern was, wait a second, I, I need to know what's going on. I need my, my knowledge needs to increase. I, I need to know this stuff. I, gotta have, I, I need an inside track here on what you're doing, Jesus. And, and then he said, Lord, why can't I not follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. His enthusiasm for Jesus, in fact, his personal sense of devotion to Jesus, was completely misguided. Completely misguided. So briefly, if I could say that about Peter and that those few verses, I, just summing up, I, there's so much more to be said there, but I, I want to see Peter as a warning to us. Number one, of elevating knowledge above love. Elevating knowledge above love. And elevating enthusiastic devotion above God's glory. Peter is always willing to step forward and say what's on his mind. And his, his enthusiasm for Jesus, his desire to know what's going on, uh, those are admirable qualities. But they, in this case, were a distraction from what God was trying to teach them, what Jesus was trying to teach them. I would have loved to have seen Jesus' train of thought continue on and not get interrupted here, because I think that's what was happening. In a, in a, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll pick up this subject of, of love for one another again. But in the meantime, 
How is your quest for knowledge disrupting your love for other people? Is that possible? Is that possible? Or how is your, how is your enthusiasm or, or maybe your, your sense of devotion to Jesus or, or God is distracting you from, from really glorifying God in the now, in the presence, in the present? For me, knowledge, um, I don't know enough. Therefore, I'm not going to fill in the blank. Shared about, about Mike, um, who died after collapsing on a, on a run. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I, di- I didn't know how to respond. I, I'm not trained for this. But what I did was I said, my knowledge isn't such, so I'm not going to love him as I should. How tragic. How tragic. Does it, but does that not happen every day? Every day of our lives it happens. God is saying, love that person. But I say, I don't know how. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's why, that's why I love Piper's definition Joyfully meeting the needs of others. Everybody has a need. It may just be to listen. It may just be to pray. How can you love another person? Maybe your personal devotion is getting in the way of glorifying God. And in other words, we're so enthusiastic to let other people know how we're doing or what we're about or all of the things that are going on in our lives, that all we're doing is reflecting ourselves to the world and not God. Has that ever happened? Have you ever got caught in that? Like maybe my, maybe the things I share with other people have way too much to do about me and my own personal life than they do about God and what he's all about. Can we have the kind of love that glorifies God, the kind of love that Paul talks about when he was telling this church that was in Corinth how messed up they were. And he said, you guys have all this great knowledge. You guys have all these gifts. You guys are talented out the wazoo. But you don't love each other. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, oh, that's devotion. That's devotion right there. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. I'm not going to get anything for that. Because I'm not loving other people. I'm not doing what Jesus commanded us to do. To love as he has loved. How do we do that? How do we have that kind of love? First of all, it's only possible when we experience it in Christ ourselves. And 
you may have experienced the love of Jesus in salvation, but are you going back to the well? Are you, are you collecting up the daily bread? Are you going to receive the manna from heaven, the love from Jesus every day, day after day? Don't live off of yesterday's grace when there's fresh grace for you today to experience in the word, in prayer, in communion, community with one another as well. Don't settle on what happened years ago when Jesus wants to give you his love today, now. Can we love like Jesus? Only through his power. Only through his love in us. Can we glorify God? Can we magnify God to a watching world? Yes, only when we're reflecting Jesus. When the love of Jesus is reflected back to us. That's how we experience the glory of God in the now. Let's pray. Heavenly